Holy moly, we made it to the finale. Time to put the cherry on the Sunday of his spectacular season down under on the podcast. Holy moly bingers, wannabe plaid jacket winners, competitive putters, mini golf maniacs. That pretty much sums up the two of us. I'm Tom and I go by Mr. T and I'm one half of a couple of putts. Find all of the mini golf design, reviews, and more from the Pink Putter and myself over at a couple of putts.com and on social media on all the platforms at Couple Putts. And I'm Pat, and in mini golf circles, I'm known as the Putting Penguin. I run the mini golf course review website and social media conglomerate, the Putting Penguin. I'm also a competitive mini golfer, having played in over 60 tournaments. This year, we took our talents to a podcast. After spending 2020 live streaming, we're going to need a bigger windmill. Our Facebook show that covered the U.S. Season 2 of Holy Moly, along with other mini golf topics. You can find that show in the archives of our respective websites. Due to the wonders of technology, we started our run of this podcast recapping Holy Moly Season 1, as well as the entire realm of mini golf across the world. We've seen a ridiculous amount of Holy Moly in person and on our screens in the last couple of years. On top of it, we're good sleuths and we can get the insider scoop sent to us on the water temperatures, which were warmer in Australia than in the U.S., the putt-offs, which get regularly truncated as we've alluded to in the past, and which competitors are genuinely sweet people. P.S. Expect us to have a few of the fine folks from the Aussie season on in the coming weeks of the podcast. We live, eat, and breathe this one-of-a-kind show, and happy to share our thoughts and excitement with you all. It's the grand finale. We really don't have much to spoil for you at this point, but be warned, we will dive deep into the catalog of all three seasons of Holy Moly. So be prepared for a lot of talk about Uranus. Also, if you want to see some visuals for the show after listening to this episode, perhaps even some of Uranus, check out Podcast Mini on the socials. We're glad you've made it through the whole competitive season with us. Scheduling time to thoroughly watch the competitors and then record and edit these podcast episodes was a whirlwind schedule, to say the least, for the Australian season. We naively expected a schedule somewhat comparable to the U.S., where you have one episode at most a week. We both love so much about the show, but the pacing of the air dates definitely made it feel like a slog at times. I partially blame the networks for thinking that airing three episodes a week of this show format would translate well. If you're judging by the ratings and people who are commenting on the show, the rapid release schedule didn't work for anyone. We thank you for taking the slow route through this fun season with us, and we also thank Rob Frost for helping us with cleaning up our audio after we record each episode. So before we jump into the last of these episodes of season one of Australia's Holy Moly, we want to share a little news from the world of mini golf. For me, I want to share that the World Mini Golf Sport Federation, or what's known as the WMF, is looking to reinvigorate its social media this year as we return, hopefully, to international competitions. They've started this off by kicking off a series of interviews with various companies that sponsor the WMF, which happens to be a charitable organization, at the international level. You can find these interviews on YouTube as well as other social media platforms, and they give a nice little insight into international mini golf and what keeps it ticking as we move towards the ultimate goal of Olympic recognition. There's a new mini golf course opening in Wicker Park, Chicago this spring. The Big Mini Putt Club will be opening up and it will have nine holes along with a bar that looks pretty cool from everything that we've seen on social media so far. They had a competition for the ninth hole that the winning selection 
was a really challenging hole that was inspired by Tiger Woods. Being that we're in Minneapolis, Robin and I are planning to drive down to Chicago and play this course very much sooner than later and can't wait for it. We're also awaiting news on the exact opening, but the Elmhurst Museum in the Chicago area will be doing a redo of the Par Excellence Artist Design Mini Golf Show that happened 25 years ago in Chicago. We designed a hole for it and we can't wait to share it. And we're really, really excited to see all of the holes that the artists have designed. We know that the museum is trying to take all the precautions to make sure that they can open safely. And once we have news on that exact date when they'll be opening up that course, we'll be sure to share it with you on both PuttCast and a couple of Putt's social media. Now back to Holy Moly. Some general notes on this version of the finale for Australia. We're going to start off with the 10 previous winners being our competitors who are going to go head-to-head in a bracket one-hole tournament making their way towards the final big hole of the Tomb of Nefertiti. On this episode, there's also a redemption hole, which is strangely not the distractor, which we'll talk about later, which will end up putting three players in the final. The winner takes home the prize jewel putter, but most importantly, $100,000 Australian. And since you're listening to this at this point, don't forget to subscribe and give us a hole-in-one rating. And with that, Let's head to the holy moly scramble time and our recap of these final matchups. And the first round of the finale is going to start off with Surf and Turf. We have Jesse, the improbable entry into the finale. He's a surfer, he's a beer man, and he's a golf lover. He'll be going up against Nick, who's a bodybuilder and PGA golfer, who I never commented on this, but I really love his red shoes and blue top and bottom outfit combo. As Rob Riggle said, it's the six-pack versus the six-packs. And it seems kind of fitting that they're going to be playing on surf and turf, given that Jesse Earnshaw is a surfer, and maybe that's what gave him the advantage. As I mentioned earlier, Jesse has visual similarities to Young Bowski, aka Sam Baba, except Jesse advanced where Sam fell short to the cookie lady in his episode in the U.S. So on to the play. Jesse shoots over the wave and is about four feet out from the hole. He makes a good attempt at crossing the narrow beam, but gets knocked off by the water cannons as usual. Our bodybuilder Nick, unfortunately, hits the ball over the wave to splash it down into the sand on the other side, and then Nick tries to slowly walk across while getting hit with the water cannons, but he ultimately gets hit into the water. Nick, on the other side, hits an incredible putt out of the sand trap, one of the most high-pressure and impressive shots of the season, probably about eight feet out, And out of those sand traps, that's crazy. Jesse matches with about a three-foot putt, just catching the left side of the cup and in. So they go to a putt off. Nick misses right, and you can see a really tough look on his face that I know all too well from having missed a tough putt on a hole. And you get to kind of see that throughout all the season. Jesse putts it, backs away to watch, gets it in to win, and what a comeback loses in the first round of his episode, and then somehow manages to get all the way to the semis of the grand finale. Talk about a great start to the episode. Jesse Channel his finest Tiger Woods with that walk-off putt there. So much confidence. He knew that was going in. I loved it. And we're on now to a personal favorite hole of both of ours, Slip and Putt. In this matchup, we had Jaden, who was our drone pilot from episode 5, Versus Tom, our ginger yahoon mudflap winner from episode seven. It's Go a Tom. Rig- 
It's a wriggle favorite versus a wriggle favorite target. Interestingly enough, speaking of redemption like we had with Jesse, both of these gentlemen got their way to the finale via the distractor redemption on their episodes. That's right. I almost forgot. I didn't even put that together. Yeah, I saw it. And well, I mean, I've done all the distractor stuff, so it sat sat in my mind pretty well. And with Slip and Putt, of course, there's plenty of good falling to get it up there. Shervo, who I think has actually gotten better as the season's going on in terms Mm -hmm. of keeping up with Riggle, had a great Tom Kunkel, not quite as agile at the moment statement as uh, our mudflap friend was really flapping all over the place going up and down the hill. Jaden makes it up first and probably... In the funniest moment of the entire season, he does his best to help Tom up and Tom intentionally, accidentally (laughs) sends him back down the hill. Eventually with himself, with with himself, himself. with himself. So (laughs) I'm going to, you know, err on the side of accidentally. They They seem to be having fun with it. They both get up. Tom starts off his putting from the B position. He got a little bit of weird spin on the ball, so it kept it up against the back rail. Um, Jaden, I thought, actually had a better putt down, but ends up getting kicked off to the right. Uh, Tom pushes his his third putt. He actually just taps in for three. Meanwhile, Jaden just straight pins it to move on to the next round. And in a very endearing moment, showing how much Mr. Riggle loves our friend, Tom with his Yapoon mud flap, he got a really great Riggle montage to wrap up his run of the show. And I think probably had the best cut of any competitor throughout the season. So yay for your 15 minutes. Team Tom all the way. I I, I have to say I felt a little misty watching a, a tribute to a Tom competing on Holy Moly. And I, I wish I would have gotten that. But Tom was a uh, a good representative of the super basic Tom name. And now we're on to Uranus. And after Riggle talks about being drunk and seeing aliens in Vegas, we're on to the play. We have Michelle, our Aussie Rules football coach, versus Amy, who won our singles episode. And I got to say, as much as I didn't love the singles episode, I love the energy of how Amy just came in and she was taunting Scotty, the guy that she had beat. I was totally here for it and good on Amy. They both have to put up the massive rings of Uranus in order to get the ball to the other side and then cross on the obstacles. I'll, I'll spoil it right now. Both of them fall in on the first obstacle, Earth, and go into the water. On Amy's putt over, she might have been the closest to an ace of the season, getting the ball into the channel, and the pace was almost about right, even though it was coming out pretty fast, to go in for an ace. Michelle misses the channel, and the ball bounces back off that backstop to keep it about 10 feet out. Michelle misses left on her long putt and taps in for four with the stroke penalty for falling in the water. Amy gets in her first putt, it's about two to three feet out, gets a three, and kind of an improbable win again. And Amy heads into the semifinals of our finale. And now we get to the weird part of the episode because we're going to do dissecting the distractor as our fourth hole. <laughs> so, right. with, so with it being the final, it's weirdly thrown in the middle as a normal hole and not the redemption hole, despite, as I alluded to earlier, and spoiler for later in our show, we're going to have a redemption run in this final. Shervo does mention that they have to face the toughest holes right from the start, so maybe that makes sense, or maybe it was just the timing of filming thing. I'm probably going with the latter on that one. Anyway, we've got Daniel, who was our ring card guy and prawn farmer, who was the most recent winner of episode 10. 
up against our first episode winner, Montana, who is a pro golfer who ended up acing foul play to get herself into the finals. Our distraction is the pink-wearing, accordion-playing Hans. We'll get back to him in a minute. Uh, let's just say there's a boa involved, and Daniel, being the exotically dressed man that he is, decides that the best place for that boa is in his pants. And I don't know if he got a little too excited, but blew that first putt way past the hole. <laughs> I, mm. I, that, I think that's a, good, that's a generous way of saying it. <laughs> it might have been in the same time zone by the time it stopped. Uh, Montana, however, showing the skills of the pro golfer, says nuts to the hat, throws the bow on and drops her putt to immediately move on to the next round. So before diving in a little bit into Hans and our dissection, a couple good things that were thrown out there. There was a great reference of potentially ACDC being behind the wall, which I thought was another good Australian shout out. And Riggle thinking that the most distracting thing for Daniel would have been a mirror. Pretty spot on. So Hans, who... <laughs> I was not familiar with. Is, I was just going to ask. He's like, <laughs> is that like one of those things? Like it's Hans. I'm like, who? I was like, sure. And then they're like, America's Got Talent. I was like, also a show I've never watched. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he is a singer, dancer, and accordionist act, which he brought to our distractor from season 13. Apparently he was eliminated in the quarterfinals, returned for the championship, didn't win there either, but apparently he is Australian because there was a reference to him being the pride of Adelaide. So good for him. He's very entertaining. He's he's really works well with the competitors. He dubs Daniel Jesus Christ, tells Montana it's not even a name, it's a state, which maybe they get because they're not American. Uh, so some really great interaction. The accordion, I mean, it's just a built-in distraction. Although if I got an accordion distraction, like let's pony up the money season three or maybe season four in America and let's get weird Al out there. Yes. Yes. Uh, so good background music, distracting beat from a putting penguin perspective. I'm giving this one four out of five fish for this week. And we're on to the next hole, which I'm also recapping with putter ducky. So we get here two players who actually already have played and won on putter ducky. Funny the way filming works. It's Mark, who's our wonderfully bearded Garbo from episode two, up against Teresa, who's the dragon boat cop from episode nine. Uh, Teresa having the distinction of actually making it past the ducks when she played it the first time around. Will she do it this time? So as I mentioned, they both already played it. Teresa goes up first, has a pretty good rebound off the back of the soap, and it just slips in past the rubber ducky. So she's got a shot. Unfortunately, Although it looked like she might have gotten past the first duck, it just kind of grazes her enough to knock her into the water. Mark's putt is very, very similar to Teresa's and actually gets a little bit better roll up about two feet away. I think one of the things that made me laugh the most was they just caught it. And I don't know if you caught it because he kind of said it under the breath, but he goes, damn it, now I got to run. <laughs> I definitely caught that and totally understand why he'd just been there. Right. And I mean, I would have had the same sentiment too. He gets clipped and leaves a wonderful uh, gift worthy belly flop into the water. There was a strange bit of editing on this episode and they sort of cut away from their second putts to go to like commercial. That it was, was so it was, weird for a finale to do that. Right. And we hadn't seen any really of that all season. So 
I mean, who knows what happened there, but let's just say they go to a putoff. Teresa just pushes her left. Mark lines up, dead centers his. He's on to the next round. And our comment on the quick edits, not to say that we don't trust the outcome. We feel confident in all the outcomes of all of the seasons that have aired, but it was just an odd editing choice given how far along they are and how consequential the putt is. I mean, people have missed way, way easier putts than those, but I guess they just figured we're this far along, we're just going to jump right into the putt off. But at that point, then let's say they might have went to two putt offs, then show that. But if they didn't and you weren't going to truncate the putt offs, I don't know why you cut that out. And it was just odd because the rest of the season didn't really have that. Like if you're like us and you do the deep dives and you're really paying attention, you, you can tell some of that's in there. But I thought for the most part, it was really seamless. And that's why this one stuck out so much. Yeah. Um, but hey, it is what it is. It's television. And we're on to Polcano where we have Jaden, our drone pilot versus Amy, our single. Jaden goes first, and he is the first person in the Australian season of Holy Moly to hit the far left channel that gives you a guaranteed pole position on the other side of the zip line. Oddly enough, despite getting in the pole position channel, the ball goes way past the cup, like six to eight feet past the cup for not such a great lineup for his second putt, but still in a better position than being in a sand trap. He makes a nice attempt at the pole, but falls short. Amy plays some wild angles and has the ball bounce out of the surefire pole position channel, a first we've seen all season, and it goes down into the hazard where her ball's dropped into the sand. She smartly flies by the pole and barely comes close to hitting it. Sadly, though, her hit out of the sand trap on the other side, she hits it all the way over to the other sand trap in the front of the rough, and then she short putts it out of that sand trap. Fortunate for Amy, they have Jaden take the next putt. He makes it with a three with the stroke penalty. And Jaden's our first competitor to advance to the grand finale. So up next, we have clowning around. This is a hole that it's played infrequently, but always ends up with a lot of fun drama on it. So we had Mark, who had previously just won on Putter Ducky. He's up against Jesse, our beer man, who had won on Surf and Turf. Mark goes first and very smartly ties up his beard so it's not in the way while he's putting upside down. And his first shot gets, and I will see if I can explain this the best I can, stuck on the diamond cloth that's on the sloped part of the moving green. It was actually very miniature golf-like where you end up hitting the ball in a place like that's broken on an obstacle and it shouldn't be there. It absolutely felt like that. And then he gets double pied to the face for his effort. Jesse, on the other hand, kind of bounces his directly off the front edge and it kind of kicks back towards the tee. So he's not even up yet. Uh, he goes, he tries to get up in a second shot. Can't really. I love that he embraces the pie. Mm -hmm. Unlike um, some of the other competitors we've had, especially on that singles episode, uh, didn't. And yeah, chips up, kisses third. Mark, I mean, just goes to show why he's had such a good run, kind of studied it and decided, you know, the best thing for me to do is to stand on top of the green and hit this ball between my legs. Incredibly smart move, kind of chipped it up, gets pied again for his efforts. But hey, he holds out his third and now he's the second person into the final. And that putting with that spinning platform on clowning around is really no joke. Trying to get your balance and keep your aim 
while you're physically moving. Super impressive. I'm definitely planning on talking about clowning around in our junior episode, even though it's not being played, because there's a lot to like about this visually. And I haven't had a chance to talk about it in design time with Mr. T. For now, we're going to go on to our last semifinal hole, which is on Frankenbutt, a hole that I had talked about earlier, where we have Montana Strauss, our professional golfer, versus, wait, who would they match up against? Much like a lot of the interesting spins on Holy Moly that they took down in Australia this year, they decided to throw in a wild card to match up with Montana. They gave you a little bit of a taste of all the people that competed throughout the season and did not win their episode, and they ultimately landed on Cleo Smith. And if I'm being honest, I didn't think it was a coincidence because I am certain that Cleo Smith might have one of the shortest showings on Holy Moly of all time. If you don't remember her, she played on episode six against Adam, our clown, on foul play to start the episode. Adam aced it. She did not. That's it. She got one putt. She didn't get to do the obstacle. Felt bad for her. At the same time, I don't know if I'd want to come back and play Frankenputt with Cleo's first putt. She probably regrets coming back to play it because Cleo's first putt on Frankenputt was bad. It was way short and she got shocked. She had to take another putt just to get it all the way over the other side. She does hit it a little bit further, well past the cup, but oddly gets a nice bounce off of those castle walls that she's not in a bad spot. Cleo, our drama teacher who had no golf or mini golf story connected to her intro, she's sitting with a possibility at three. Montana, our pro golfer, it should be no surprise, has a great first putt and nearly aces Frankenpot would have been the second this season after Jaden to have aced it, but she still has to get shocked because that's what we do on Frankenpot. If you miss a putt, you get shocked. Fortunately for Montana, she makes her putt from about five or six feet out and wins and then heads on to the finale and Cleo Smith goes home again. We're on to the finale where we have Montana, we have Jaden, and we have Mark all playing on the tomb of Never TT. And I'll set it up with if you watch the U.S. season of Holy Moly, the intro, kind of the same exact setup. Here's this whole season where they're talking about this big Egyptian-themed hole. It's going to be the biggest thing you've ever seen. There's lots of dialogue with Greg Norman throughout the season. It's like, hmm, maybe it's not as cool as I thought. And then they get there, and it's a bunch of spinning pyramids and a hole where you have to make a 100-foot shot, and it has to go in on the first shot in order for you to win the big check. And as we know, that's the exact same setup and whole premise as it was for season two of Holy Moly in the U.S. I'll talk more about some of the little details on design time with Mr. T, but I'm going to let Pat give a little description about the play of this hole. Yeah. So before getting to that, I mean, I will say if you take a look at all the competitors we've had, so what, 80 over the 10 episodes, mm -hmm. We really did end up with three of the best putters out there. So 100%. Montana, obviously, being the pro golfer, yep. I mean, lives up to that. And Jaden, I mean, he had the ace on Franken putt. The rest of his putts were always really good. And same thing with Mark. I mean, he made really good putts. So, you know, for the folks that we've certainly heard or seen, you know, complaining about, you know, are these some of the best mini golfers out there? I mean, at the end of the day, the finale is your top three, and there's no screwing around there. So I think it did play out as much as you know the narrative here can be. Anybody can win at mini golf. You got you got some talent here, and you know I think they showed it 
in the finale and you know it's it's tough to tell we've talked about this on our live show last year you know how many rounds did it actually take because you're trying to sink a hundred foot putt you know chances are it's probably taking a little bit longer than they show but i like the way they edited it so what they really had was kind of the, the first putts that they had you could tell they were really trying to line up what they were trying to do so like Jaden's kind of had a bounce angled away montana had really good line but it was a little slow mark was way too soft and then they moved into kind of the second set and you could see it starting to get dialed in you know they were using their angles a little bit better um montana's second shot same came oh so close after using two of the pyramids and even mark's second one had a really good pace but could just kind of slid past the hole and then you know Obviously, you, you knew it was coming to the end because you could see how much time was left to go in the episode. So, um, as we got to the third one, you know, Jaden's third slips right past the edge. Montana's third gets an incredibly good rebound and just barely misses it. And you, the, Tom, I think you alluded to earlier about um, the look on Nick's face. Yeah, the look on Montana's face knew that that she knew that that was her opportunity. And <laughs> right after. Mark's third, I mean, just it didn't go straight in. It used one of the pyramids as a little bit of a, a kick over. He dropped into the cup. And I'll have to say, um, you know, I love Tanner's excitement when he won on season two of the U.S. season. But Mark had an amazingly great celebration at everything. Had pointing at the hole. He had Riggle and Shervo doing stuff with him. And um, one of my favorite lines was, not all athletes are chiseled Adonises. And, you know, Mark. I can feel you body type wise and beard wise. So, I mean, my spirit animal, you, you you felt your connection with Tom Kunkel earlier in the episode. I felt mine with Mark here and I was just excited to, to see him knock it in and win. There's a couple of little things that I know from like an insider angle. If you watch season two of Holy Moly, there was like a goofy looking dude in a blue suit with like a silver Cleopatra wig that had a pretty good view of the putting and that person had pretty good knowledge that what you saw in the air, the four to five rounds of putts, wasn't all it. And that Tanner's response was actually a little muted because there actually had to be another putt afterwards. So that wasn't the final result. So that's where you get it like a little bit more muted. And another thing that I thought was really interesting comparing Tanner, our season two winner who won the big check in the United States, to Mark is for both of them on their first putt, the putt that they showed was nearly identical. They both landed short in the middle of the pyramids. And I got to say, That's right. knowing that both went really long, I thought that was kind of lazy. Neither of us were surprised when we watched the episode by the time we got to the finale that Mark won. Social media on the show did a great job in highlighting what happened. But for us, when the time we wake up in the morning, every episode was spoiled. If we looked at social media at all before we watched, game over. We knew who won. I remember the episode that Nick won. I saw like from afar, some guy that looked like a bodybuilder. It's like, oh, don't look at it. But then when it got to the finale, it's like, yeah, that's the guy that won. And so it wasn't a surprise Mark won, but it was even more surprising watching. And I was like, that's exact shot that they showed Tanner taking. And knowing that the Australian season as well took longer than the shots that they showed, although shorter than the U.S. from what I've been informed they still showed the same amount. I think they showed four, four or five rounds of it in the U.S. 
and three rounds in Australia. For editing purposes, there is no network that's going to put a competition of three to four people missing 100-foot putts for like an hour or so. Nobody wants to watch that. By the end of it, you're just going to be like, okay, I'm glad this is over. Even No, but you know what I would watch? I would watch like a super time-lapse version of that. Yes. Like Benny Hill music or something. (laughs) I think it makes it less impressive probably when the person wins in the end. But let's be honest, it's a hundred foot putt. This is this is a putt that I think, and I'll get to it in design time talking about the whole this is a putt that is not easy. And on a single putt for something that long with that many moving parts, I don't think many people understand how much more luck comes into play than skill. When there's moving parts like a windmill or anything else, that's not just a pure putting skilled shot. There's other things that have to break your way that you can't control in those hundred feet. Yeah, this this isn't as much as they were the best putters and it gives them an advantage in terms of adjusting their shots because you can tell they knew what they were doing. Right. You're still at the mercy of the parts, what can bounce, what the the speed is. And, you know, you're playing it at whatever awful time in the morning or late at night it was being shot. And so I think that, right, that is the other thing to sit there and go. You could take any of the top mini golfers in the world and stick them on that hole. And it's still going to take them 10 shots to, to come close unless you get super lucky. And and I will say that with the three competitors we had in the finale, being told that it didn't take as long for them doesn't surprise me. Although I do feel like the shot to the cup was slightly easier on the Australian version of Holy Moly just because of the way the pyramids were set up. Again, I'll talk about this later. Let's, let's jump into uh, the whole episode. And so we'll start out with, uh, Pat, what did I miss? You know, I think this episode, we covered the putting really well. There was a lot of good bits and pieces, and we'll save some of that for the, our, our wriggle roast time. But one of the things that I, I won't include there, I don't think included on yours either, but uh, I enjoyed was on the first episode, uh, the first hole was uh, wriggle and what Nick's motivational speech must have been. It was just a bunch of like weightlifting grunts. Uh, for some reason, it just, it killed me. It it killed me in a way because it felt like it was a, a jab at him, although he was really a, a very nice competitor. And I don't, I don't know if he necessarily deserved that as much, but uh, it was it was a funny little bit. And Tom, what did I miss? So the one thing I had in my notes that I forgot to mention on Never TT was that During the showing of the hole, they showed that Becky, from one of the earlier episodes, who is also a golf pro, is a roommate with Montana, and they had discussed what they would do if they won and all of that, and that she was in the crowd watching. And what I really enjoyed was seeing that, similar to the U.S., that there seems to be a really tight golfer girl community down in Australia, and that I see a lot of cross-posting activity from both the U.S. and Aussie competitors from Holy Moly. That's really nice. And I love that there's this really supportive community. And it was nice to even like have that highlighted by showing that Becky was at the finale. So that again, that's one of those little nuances of the show and knowing who the competitors generally are and knowing that behind the scenes that there's a lot of people rooting for each other. And that especially, I think, with women in sports that I think don't get nearly the attention 
they deserve or should be getting, that it's great to see that highlighted once again in the show. Yeah, there was a lot of female golfers slash mini golfers in this episode or this season. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there was you know a lot of pro male golfers as well, but it just seemed like they were highlighted a lot more uh, throughout the run of the season, or there was just more of them. And I haven't you know done the stats or looked at it to see it that way. And that was that's really good. Um, you know, we're we're recording this the day after International Women's Day, and that was one of the big things the WMF put out yesterday as part of their release is the end. This is a sport that is one of the few worldwide competitive sports where there is gender equality in competitions. Everybody plays for the top prize. So, you know, it's nice to see that carry over into the show. Agreed. So I think that covers most of our episode. And just to give you a heads up, we are going to do one more recap of the Holy Moly Junior episode, which is the first time having a episode of younger golfer kids playing the Holy Moly course that Pat's partially watched already. And I finally found it and watched. And I got to say, I'm really excited to talk about that. We'll give us another chance at design time and all of that. And just to give you a further heads up is that we're also going to do a sort of full season recap with probably the nerdiest breakdown of some of the stats of how the obstacles played out. So stay tuned for all of that. But for right now, we're going to move on to design time with Mr. T which of course, that's me. And how could I not talk about the tomb of Nefertiti? I wanted to say Nefertiti, but I just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't get it right. As I alluded to earlier, this is a holdover of season two of Holy Moly that's nearly identical with the traditional Egyptian themed hole that's actually not that far off from a hole that is at around the world in Lake George, New York. It's got three different size pyramids. But the different thing about between Holy Moly and the Lake George hole is, is that the pyramids are on a spinning platform. In order to get the ball to the spinning platform, you sort of have to choose where you're going to putt at that spinning platform with a sphinx that's set up right in front of the putters. So they're going to set up on the left side or on the right side. And as if you saw the US season two, there were a couple of attempts by the putters to give it a shot on both sides to see which putt works better. And as we said earlier, with a hole that's a hundred foot shot, you got to try a lot of things out. So it's a dogleg right from the start and the hole is placed down the hill from the spinning platform. And on the Australian holy moly, the hole is surrounded within about a foot or two on each side by several different size pyramids. This is a big change from season two of Holy Moly in the fact that the pyramids go up a little bit higher and it gives a little bit easier path for the ball to roll up and then back down. If you watched season two, those little pyramids around the cup were squared off ramps. And so they didn't have as much height. And there were a lot of times where people hit the ball past. And because the momentum as you're coming downhill on that dog leg from the spinning pyramids can get the ball going pretty fast, it would just roll right over those little squared ramps. The show's put extra effort to kind of have this as like a punchline of the whole season and kind of the whole meta joke. But I got to say, as far as a mini golf hole goes, this is actually really, really fun. It's not worried about obstacles. It's not worried about you getting hit by something or getting covered in something. It's about putting, which at the end of the day, you do want to see that rewarded. But it, there is also a path to the cup that I think does tell a story 
I think because of the stakes, you're really invested in the journey of the ball. And I think it really works as a mini golf hole, as well as sort of a hole that really pulls you in, despite the show's best efforts to say it's garbage. I really wish they would have brought back the Cobra that was spitting fire that they had in season two in the United States. But I do like the big sarcophagus that it has the smoke rising out of it with the bejeweled putter that they have in there for the grand finale winner. There's not really a lot more to say about this hole in the sense that it's pretty straightforward. I love the basic concept, though, that you have to make a hole in one to win it and that the hole is really long. With the distractor, it's a little bit different. With a 12 or 8-foot putt, that's sort of a putt on the course that you could expect someone to make. But a 100-foot putt, that's something special. And so when someone makes that and wins that money, you're going to get that really big pop. I do wonder if they probably made it a little bit too hard and that even though we got to see excitement in both the U.S. and Australian seasons when people want it, that they probably were really exhausted. You have to imagine they were playing this sometime in the very early morning. And my bet is the Australian play of this hole might have been faster than the U.S., but probably took a minimum of a half an hour where you're just going back and forth on the same hole and not with just some regular pressure. This is like for all the money. So overall, I think this is a really, really smart idea. I really like this hole a lot more than the show gives it credit for. I think it's a perfect representation of mini golf. I think that's it. That's design time with Mr. T. All right. Now it's time for our Wriggle Roast and Best Bits. My two favorite of this particular episode was Wriggle not knowing the Australian national anthem, throwing in some of his own words. It had a very Simpson-like feel from one of their, wow, real early episodes about Australia. And then um, just because I'm an alien fan, I love Sonia's line of in space, no one will hear you scream, but on Uranus, the whole nation will hear you fail. And feel like there's like a couple levels in there. It just, she landed it really well and it hit in this episode. I bet he's regretting that fourth beer now is what Riggles <laughs> said when Jesse, our beer man, was trying to run across and not get knocked off by cannons on Surf and Turf. I was rolling on that. And it was funny because the thing I'd missed earlier is that that's a hole that Jesse probably should have gotten across because he's a surfer, but he didn't. That's a good and point. I thought that was hilarious. And I was just going to say to you, Pat, like, could you imagine with all the pressure and sitting around having like four beers before playing any of those holes in front of all those audience? I mean, no, but I know some competitive miniature golfers who that might have help them on those holes and we'll leave it at that fair enough so when i was putting together a run of show i thought i'd keep it really simple for the would you rather and we're going to each have to answer this question so i'll have advanced knowledge but pat would you rather play the u.s version of the tomb of nefertiti or the australian version of the tomb of nefertiti and you have to consider that you have the same competitors. So you would be the fourth Australian or the fifth American on the episode. I think I would go with the Australian. Because if we look at, you know, you talked about, it seemed like a slightly easier setup. Obviously, four versus five, your chances are a little bit better. And really, if you look at the players who are on the US one, you know, we had Tanner, who was the winner. He was a golfer. Chelsea, who was a pro golfer, David, who had golf background, was just a really excellent putter. And Mallory, 
who's all right. <laughs> um, but like you were stacked there too. So I feel like you're stacked and you're stacked. All things considered, I would just take the less competitors in the slightly easier hole. How about yourself? I think I'm in the same boat. I think I'd want to have a better crack at it. And so less competitors would probably be the big factor. I do like how the pyramids are a little taller. There's a little bit more give. And it there's something about it that feels slightly shorter and a little bit more achievable. Because the thing I, I forgot to mention on uh, the design time, those little ramps on season two of Holy Mole in the US, way more spread out and away from the hole, which meant even if you could get up it a little bit and you got that reverse or you got the momentum coming back downhill towards the cup, that you weren't always going to get there. And Mallory, unfortunately, knows that quite well as her ball sat really, really close to the cup. So, yeah, I mean, I'd take any chance to get there and have a crack at it. It would, I feel, I feel bad for all of the people that lost on it because, frankly, everybody who lost in both those seasons are incredible putters. I have no doubt all of them belong there and made some really great putts to get there and to have it all come down to that. I, Mark and Tanner are great putters, but there is definitely a level of luck that comes down to it. And good for them for having that luck, but man, not having that luck. I, I'd hate to have the dreams that some of them are having about <laughs> that putt regularly and having it documented on broadcast TV. So um, I would take it with less people and hope I won it because it'd be painful to lose on such a challenging hole. And for the final time in this season's competitive episodes... We're on to big thoughts, mini golf. Whether you're trying to become a better putter, designer, or mini golf hole builder, don't give up when you hit a bump on the way to the goal. You gotta take a bunch of shots before you can consistently land in the cup or come up with a mini golf hole that works. Enjoy the aces and success along the way and keep running at those windmills even when you're feeling knocked off track. Now in this episode, Tom Kunkel, the of the Yapoon Mudflap, had a poignant point about being from a small town and seizing this opportunity. I know for myself and my co-host, that was part of the reasons we did the show. Neither of us are conventionally famous, nor probably want to be, but we knew it was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to be on national television, representing the sport we love. So to all of you wavering on whether or not you should try out for a future season, go for it never know where the path might take you and hopefully it's one that puts you in between the windmill blades and with that we're at the 19th hole so until next time putt one ready <laughs>